0: The Be Here Now Network invites you to join Jack Kornfield, Tara Brock, and some of today's leading mindfulness meditation instructors for a two-year mindfulness meditation teacher certification program. Get the training you need to guide others in their journey with a powerful online training course and in-person teaching events. To learn more, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com GetCertified.
1: This is Raghu Marcus, host of Ramdas's Here and Now podcast. New podcast today. And um, before I get into this talk from Ramdas, which is uh, from 1995, I just want to talk about something that I just got back, or we just got back from. Ojai, California, where we had a retreat at Hanuman Gardens, and uh, it was so uh, spectacular. Not to use too much hyperbole, but uh, we do these retreats, uh, and I, everybody should be aware of them. Uh, they're quite wonderful. They're, they're something that Ramdas asked us to do. They're called the Ohi Hanuman Garden Ramdas Immersion Retreat. So they're they kind of like, like start on Thursday, they end on Sunday nights, and we do one in the spring and one in the fall. And uh, they are an opportunity for uh, a more intimate group, which Ramdas wanted. I think there's uh, oh somewhat just under a hundred people in this beautiful um, property. In Ojai, that Hari and Lakshmi, Giancelli have provided, uh, and they they built they rebuilt a beautiful Spanish house, with this fantastic uh, meeting living room, which is is the meeting room, where uh, we share Ramdas media, and talk about it, and have Dharma teachers. Mirabai Star was there, uh, Saraswati, my beautiful wife, was there teaching yoga and pranayama, and, and did a, a, an incredible session with Benji Wertheimer and Heather of Shantala, who did the uh, kirtan and the music. So uh, I can't say enough about this, and, and we, do, uh, we did film some, so we're going to have some footage, so everybody can kind of get an idea of, of what it is we did. This uh, particular theme of this retreat was from Ramdas from his Naropa sessions in 74 and and the theme was around the state of Brahman, that which cannot be described. I like it better than the word God, (laughs) which a lot of people have a problem with, including me. Uh, And it also was around the cessation of the turnings of the mind. Which, of course, we talk about a lot. And Ramdas, um, of course, uh, has explicated it better than uh, most teachers that uh, I know. So, yeah, this OHI thing. So, yeah, if the next one's April 4th through 7th, look out for it being announced towards uh, the end of the year, uh, this year being 2018. And. Um, there is limited room, but uh, you know, keep an eye out. Uh, and that leads me to the next to the other uh, retreat that uh, Saraswati has been uh, leading people over, following in Ramdas's footsteps into the Himalayas, into the beautiful uh, area that is so so special to us, where Ramdas met. Maharaji Neem Karoli Baba and where I met him and Krishnadas and others that you know and uh, in a beautiful ashram in an apple valley just north of Kenchi where we spent a lot of time with Maharaji and this this yatra this retreat is pretty much like uh, I was mentioning to Saraswati the other day this is kind of like taking the ohi immersion Ramdas immersion and doing it in the Himalayas so it's really special and so I wanted to mention yeah these two two retreats pretty much go hand in hand because they're really deep immersion with a smaller number of people the one in the Himalayas is 25 30 people and um, and it's just incredible excursions to Kenchi and Bhumiedar which is the exact place that Ramdas met Maharaji that famous first time when Maharaji said your mother you were out thinking about your mother and she died of spleen and she had died of spleen cancer and I think within a year before that and of course he was blown away and uh that became a fulcrum for many many people uh to uh go to India and meet Neem Karoli Baba back then. So, uh, very special, both of these retreats. And I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, Saraswati's Yatra, which is Himalayan Yoga Yatra. So it, of course, includes the big yoga, not just the Hatha Yoga, but the eight-limbed yoga. Uh, That's taking place uh, March 6th for about 10, 11, 12 days. And you can go to, if you want to find out more about that, because that's coming up sooner than later, uh, you go to nourishinglife.com yatra, Y-A-T-R-A. And you'll get the gist of all the details. And again, Ohi will be in April. You can go to ramdas.org to find out more info on that a little later this year. Okay, so this talk from Ramdas—it's a little bit of a long title that I—I I have given it, but it's about how to inhabit roles lightly, with joy and with emptiness, and uh, it's just um, his usual fantastic. Detailing of how it is that we act in our lives and how it is that we uh, inhabit these roles and take them very seriously, and uh, we act like that with each other. Uh, I'm just looking for for this one thing that he talks about. Uh, we we start to be so identified by our symbolic value and the role we're in we starve to death because we are so trapped it's like wearing an outfit that is so flamboyant that everybody responds to the outfit and nobody notices you and uh this is how we interact with each other we make this deal okay i'm i'm going to uh, I'm going to pretend that uh, you know, you, it's okay for you to act in your role and you pretend it's okay for me to act and we don't get anywhere connected uh, to that place behind our roles. He says, examine the contracts we make with fellow human beings. Most of the relationships we enter into are at ego level in which I am somebody and I enter into a contract with somebody and the nature of the contract is, quote-unquote, I won't bug your somebody-ness if you don't bug mine. <laughs> I love that. I'll allow you to be more who you think you are if you allow me to be who I think I am. Isn't that so very true and unfortunate, but very true? Uh, and he talks about reviewing how we can look at our life experience in a way that liberates us from suffering and and those with whom we come in contact with, from suffering as well, um, and the key thing that triggered my uh, deep interest in this talk was when he talked about we're learning how to be happy with what is. That was the first thing I remember way back in the day before I met Ramdas. I started to become interested in Eastern spirituality and the first being that i met uh on the uh, along the way was uh a saint named mayer baba and he had this beautiful picture of him smiling and it's underneath it said don't worry be happy and i remember relating with that and going yeah that's what i want i just want to be happy i had a lot of suffering when i was a teenager Stuff with my dad, uh, being a bit of a tyrant, to say the least. And that's a whole other story about what Maharaji did to save that uh, and save us. But yeah, just plain old want to be happy. Uh, How to enjoy the unfolding storyline of your life without being trapped by it. How to enjoy the play of the uniqueness of each form, how it works, how you interact with it without being trapped by the narrowness of it. And the narrowness of it is the roles. And um, if you are so busy being somebody that everybody reacts to your somebodyness and nobody reacts to your nobody nobody reacts to the I. Instead, the I, meaning the true self, not the quote-unquote me-me, mini-me, which we've been talking a lot about on... On Mind Rolling, the podcast that uh, I do and share with many people. Um, so let's see. There's so many great uh, bites, sound bites here from Ram Dass. It's amazing. The word, so we're talking about extricating ourselves from this mini me, ego mind. It it doesn't mean disassociation or denial. It doesn't mean pushing it away. It means breaking the identity with it. Right? Breaking the identity. So a lot of us, you know, our reaction is, let's get rid of this, let's hide from it, let's push it away, and the neurotic tendencies just get stronger. And so that's what practices really help us do. They allow us to break identity with who we think we are, with our roles. If you go back in your mind far enough behind the quote-unquote me, behind the senses, behind what the senses are telling you, drawing the awareness back and back, what you come into is just empty presence. And yet all the phenomena are here. Everything that goes on in your life is still happening uh, all the interactions, all the roles are all still happening, but the mind is not grabbing at them. And, and again, I've said this before, but the, if people say to me, well, you've been doing this work for decades, What's the, you know, where are you at, buddy? And I would say, I'm just not reacting the way that I did. I am not believing in my story, my thoughts, the way that I used to. And um and Ramdas says here, it's not clinging, it's not avoiding, it's not pulling, it's not pushing, it's not coming or going, it's just ah and that's what that empty presence is here. So another really, really great talk is a wonderful story of Maharaji telling Ramdas to be alone uh, which I love that. I kinda remember when we were all staying in the Evelyn Hotel in Nanital. Uh, that's uh, worth the price of admission, just that story alone. Uh, and and I don't know how many times uh, I have emphasized this, uh, both in podcasts and in retreats and and just in, in person with anybody. Uh, and Ram Dass says it here, the precious thing is to meet and know other people who are journeying on the path together the difference with satsang is we agree to help each other get free of entrapment or believing our roles are real right very very important and uh, and we do by the way this is something else uh, i would love to mention is that uh love server member foundation has a ramdas fellowship program where we attempt And we've done a pretty good job. There's a lot of satsangs around the country, around the world, actually, in different places uh, that get together. And and people, uh, you can write and say, I live in wherever, and uh, and we'll see if we can hook you up with satsang. Or maybe if you've got, all you need is two, right? Christ said, if two or more uh, are there in my name, there I am. So just a couple of people can start something up, and we can help. We we uh, share Ramdas media and give an idea of how to get together. We share uh, uh, chant stuff, you know, because people get together, they have food, chant, and, and watch or listen to uh, Ramdas stuff or any other conscious media for that matter. But of course, uh, since this is centered around Ram Dass and he is so clear at explicating all this stuff that we do use his talks. So anybody interested, just uh, write to info at org and it'll uh, get to the right people to help out. So there you go. How to Inhabit rolls lightly with joy and with emptiness. Emptiness, meaning empty of the little mini-me that we walk around with on a day-to-day basis. So thanks for joining us, and here is Ram Dass, here and now.
0: There is great delight in, uh, in tuning through a variety of different methods, and really looking to each method to... Um, move you in a, in its own unique way, but also keep opening you. So, uh, be very uh, generous in your opening to methods, because uh, if you bring to them a pure heart and a yearning to be free, they will serve you in that way. Uh, the way you get your carmuppance with methods. <laughs> if you use them for power, you get power, and then you're stuck with the power. If you... And uh, if you use them to, to reinforce your separateness, you get left in your separateness. And uh, what, what we are doing is we are reviewing how we can look at our life experience in a way that liberates us from suffering and liberates those with whom we come in contact from suffering. And you'd say, well, that's a negative way of looking at it. You could say, we are learning how to be happy with what is. With what is. And the flip that occurs that we're really working with is to to figure out how to Enjoy the unfolding storyline of your life without being trapped by it. How to delight in it, how to enjoy the play of the uniqueness of each form and how it works and how you interplay and interact without being trapped in the narrowness of it. I have watched again and again in this society, people get defined into a role And they start to be scrunched up into that role. And that role traps them. For a child to see their mother as a friend, not a mother. For a a prisoner and a guard to see each other as fellow human beings instead of just prisoner and guard. There are how many roles we get trapped in. And when the role has a lot of symbolic power to it, we get very trapped in it, like uh, wealth or beauty or or something, some uniqueness, positive or uh, negative. We start to be so identified with our symbolic value and the role we're in that people can't, um, we don't, we're, we starve to death because we're, we're trapped. It's like wearing an outfit that's so flamboyant that everybody responds to the outfit and nobody notices you. And uh, I meet many people who are so trapped in their roles and trapped in their symbolic value within the society. And we all present ourselves symbolically. We all project who we think we are, and the clothes we wear, and the way we walk, and the way we look at other people. That's all the image we have of ourselves projected outward. And uh, sometimes that's very, very strong. You're so busy being somebody that everybody reacts to your somebodyness, and nobody reacts to your nobodyness. Nobody reacts to the part of you that's the I, not the me. And so, it's interesting to learn in this lifetime how to inhabit roles lightly. How to inhabit them with love and with joy and with passion and with emptiness. How to delight in the game, in the dance, in the leela, in the play. And begin to see your life experiences as grace. As a set of opportunities through which you can become free. They were handed to you. And the unique, it's bizarre to get to the realization that there are no errors in the game. That the ones that have been handed to you were tailor made for you. All of your neuroses and your soreness and your problems and life's, all the stuff. No error. Would you just conceive of that possibility for a moment? You have to buy in. I mean, that's my, my sugar to business. Just conceive of it for a moment that there are no errors in the game. In the sense that you as a soul are a karmic entity, and that karmic entity, using senses, using forms, Creates out of the stuff of the universe those forms through which its attachments and aversions create Through which it interacts in order in the awakening phase to go beyond the attractions and the aversions in other words to get free of your attractions and aversions you get to get them to manifest to deal with them and Then you deal with them without juicing them up with intention, but just being with them This is very weird very dense stuff but it's really uh, tasty, it's tasty, because you begin to look at your life, the curriculum that's unfolding. The fun for me, like because I play with my guru, who's a, a dead guru, I mean, he's, a, he's an illusion, he's my, he's my um, imaginary playmate. I mean, if you're going to have an imaginary playmate, pick one that is wise, funny, a rascal, cosmic giggle, and very loving and dead is really helpful
1: <laughs>
0: so I hang out to and and so what comes towards me is in in the game he and I play what he's laying on me to free me now that's real crazy Well, what do you got in store for me today? Well, look at this one. Ah, so. I mean, there are wonderful little lessons in my life along the way. And uh, I just experienced my life as an unfolding curriculum. Now Maharaji, as Sam Maharaji, Neem Karoli Baba, didn't say, well, in 1995, he will have this happen. It's not that level it is merely the dialogue between the ego the soul and awareness an inner dialogue going in which out of awareness these phenomena are manifesting and dissolving and the soul is these are the which particular ones are attended to or noticed is the soul's karmic determination And then how you live within it is the ego's game. And by the way, just to uh, clean up so that I don't get, uh, I don't overstep bounds here, there are many, 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 many other planes of consciousness. I mean, those of you that have studied any of the literature about astral and uh, causal planes and and uh, all the planes that Sri Aurobindo talks about, and um, the overmind, and so on, the oversoul. Um, you're dealing with something that is not conceptual, all, all these planes, and you're imposing some conceptual structure to define the differences between. The chakras deal with planes of consciousness. So the soul is not only doing work on this plane, but is doing work on a lot of other planes as well. Karma is being run through. So a lot of your dreams, which may not make sense on this plane, have function. It's like your soul's dreaming. And then you wake up and you remember a little bit and the ego tries to figure out what it's about. But it's really the soul's business. That's fun. I mean, just using soul lightly now. Don't use it in the heavy sense. Because as every Buddhist knows, it ultimately dissolves. It's just a step on a ladder you use in order to extricate yourself from your ego trip. And be careful, the word extrication does not mean dissociation or denial. It does not mean pushing away. It means breaking the identity with. But I can have my MG, and it can be my MG. Like last night, there was an old car parade, and everybody was busy being their old car. I'm a DeSoto, and I'm a Packard, and I'm a cut Chevy And you could see the identity with the form. I never felt so American in my life. (laughs) Yeah, um, it was a materialist delight. It was unbelievable. Um, so I can say it's my MG and be identified with the MG, or I can say. I mean, I love it. It's a wonderful car. I take care of it, and I certainly enjoy driving it, and it's an MG. And I can say it's a body. I love it. I enjoy it. I'm working with it. I'm doing the best I can with it. (laughs) It is slowly decaying. It's probably going to decay and die, I assume. I have no reason not to to think it's not going to. And the interesting question is, how do I manage that temple, the temple for consciousness? How do I take care of my body? How do I do it without being trapped by taking care of it? You will watch that the minute you get something wrong with you, your consciousness will narrow. If you're not very careful until you're busy being your symptom. And the, the caricature of all the old folks sitting on the bench in St. Petersburg or in Arizona having their morning organ recital, <laughs> describing... <laughs> and you, you, the minute you start to cultivate these techniques of mindfulness, you begin to see the game that you're playing, the life you're living, the way it's unfolding, the roles you're in, and you listen more deeply into your life so that you hear what roles are, um, what you'll learn is that, that you have a unique karmic predicament, and that will manifest in certain ways at each moment. And to the extent that you push against the manifestation, it takes a lot of juice. To the extent you cling to the manifestation, it takes a lot of juice and ultimately what you're doing is dancing deeply but lightly there's no clinging the statement hold on tightly let go lightly be in it but don't cling and the to separate it's interesting because when we love somebody we want to possess them we want more of them we want to collect we keep wanting to hold it and we keep getting all of these old mouldering dead butterflies in our collection you know old loves that were a moment of love, and then we destroyed it through possessing it. And the letting go, and letting go, and letting go, holding tightly, letting go. Holding tightly of your interpretation of the moment and letting go. Like what is this moment? There are dozens of ways, hundreds of ways, if each person defined this moment, we would define it in each in our own unique way. And yet we are sharing a moment. And if you get into that's my take, and this is the only reality. Uh, I work a lot with what's in your booklet, the third Chinese patriarch of Zen, isn't that in? And um, <clears throat> I just take a f- phrases. I mean, I, I always work with the first phrases, which you've all heard. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And you think about all the preferences you have. Color, food, people, places, comforts, experiences. Think of them, think of them, think of the thousands. You're a sea of opinions and prejudices and attitudes and wants and dislikes and so on. And think of how many times you've gotten caught in them of being a person with an opinion. And feel how contracting that is. And you say, but I've got to have opinions. I mean, how will I know whether to walk across the street or not? Now can you think about having opinions and not having opinions? Stretch your mind a little bit to allow for the possibility that you can functionally have opinions, but that you are not trapped by them that you're lightly in them. Yeah, sure. You say to me, I said, gee, it's cold in here. Could we warm it up? But I'm not spending the rest of the day having been cold just then. I don't hold it. Now, new moment. 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 Here are just two of the uh, phrases, the stanzas. With a single stroke, we are freed from bondage. Nothing clings to us, and we hold to nothing. All is empty, clear, self illuminating. Third plane awareness. Clear, Illuminating, present. Ah. Yes. Sees the soul unfolding its karma, sees the ego at work. Awareness doesn't see it, it bees it. It's all within it. All is empty, clear, and self illuminating with no exertion of the mind's power. You don't have to think about it, you just rest in it. Here, thought feeling, knowledge, and imagination are of no value. In this world of suchness, there is either, neither self nor other than self. And you could take a, just those lines and work with them for a whole year. Believe me, these are methods we're talking about now. They're methods for stretching your consciousness so that you allow yourself to inhabit the fullness of your being which is both ego, which is ego and soul and awareness. Now there's just a few lines in the next one I want to read. To come directly into harmony with this reality. Now it's describing another method. Just simply say when doubts arise, not to. Not to. In this not to, nothing is separate. Nothing is excluded. No matter when or where. Enlightenment means entering this truth. And finally, emptiness here, emptiness there, but the infinite universe stands always before your eyes. Phenomena are arising. We're all here together, and we're all here in a quality of emptiness in which if you go back in your mind far enough behind the me and the I and what the senses are telling you, just keep drawing the awareness back and back and back. What you come into is just empty presence. And yet all the phenomena are here. But the mind isn't grabbing at the phenomena. It's not clinging, it's not avoiding, it's not pulling, it's not pushing. It's not coming, it's not going. It's just Another moment. Ah. ah. Maharaj used to say to me, Ramdas, <clears throat> you shouldn't be with people very much. You should be alone. You should take your food alone, you should eat alone, you should be alone. So, I went back to the hotel where all of the devotees, the Western devotees, were hanging out, and I put a sign up on my door that said, Do not disturb. And I stayed in my room. Two days later, a couple that was with us had a fight during the night. The next morning, they were with Maharaji, and Maharaji said, You were fighting? And they said, Yes. And he said, When were you fighting? And they said, During the night. Well, did you go to Ramdas? <clears throat> No, he had a sign on his door saying, Do not disturb. You didn't go to Ramdas? He wasn't there for you? And he looked at me with disgust. <laughs> and I was about to say to him, But Maharaji, you said I was supposed to be alone. But in those conflicting messages, I found a message. Because at first, you have to be alone by pulling back from people but you understand what the game is finally the game is to be with people yet always be alone now how many of you take the feeling of aloneness and feel it as pathology have you ever thought of flipping it around just that little flip There's an incredible line about the nature of the potential of relationship. This beautiful quote from the I Ching. And I, it's one of my favorite quotes to use at weddings. The master said, life leads the thoughtful person on a path of many windings. Now the course is checked Now it runs straight again. Here winged thoughts may pour freely forth in words, but there the heavy burden of knowledge must be shut away in silence. But when two people are at one in their inmost hearts, they shatter even the strength of iron or of bronze. And when two people understand each other in their inmost hearts, their words are sweet and strong, like the fragrance of orchids." Now we're talking about souls hanging out together. Souls who don't need anything from each other, they both are just watching the unfolding. The unfolding on the ego level may involve their interaction. The roles through which they interact. But the souls are just sharing um, a delight in the unfolding of the dance. <clears throat> at, the, at certain stages in the journey, if you have a choice, it's wonderful to have other beings around you sometimes called the satsang or the sangha, a community of other beings like are gathered in this room that recognize what the journey or the curriculum is about that we are born into here. And they help you. We help each other. And it's a very precious thing to have other people you meet and know that are journeying on the path together. And it's interesting to examine the contracts we make with fellow human beings. Because most of the relationships we enter into are at the ego level. In which I am somebody and I enter into a contract with you as somebody. And usually the nature of the contract is I won't bug your somebody-ness if you don't bug mine. I'll allow you to be who you think you are if you'll allow me to be who I think I am basically, is what we're saying to each other. The difference is that when you meet with satsang, you say, I am trapped in thinking I'm somebody. You are trapped. Could we help each other get free? Now, the peculiar circumstance is, when you make that contract with somebody, and they come up and say, you're trapped. Wake up. You say, you're trapped. What do you know about it? (laughs) Because when somebody is trapped, they are trapped, <laughs> meaning they think it's real. And in their reality, your criticism is seen as a criticism, not as a helpful hint. So if you're going to enter into the relation of Sangha or Satsang with that somebody, you've got to realize that truth is a little scary to live with. It's much better to live with truth, however, than with the kind of numbing deception of of all of us making believe a reality is real. I mean, when you look at the way, the violence that consistency has done to your truth, it's staggering. Because when you understand that you move in and out of all these different levels, like Maharaji, when I was with him, he'd just be floating around in levels. I remember once he said, he looked, it was he like he just came out of a trance. He says, all the money in the world is mine. It's a great line, isn't it? I mean, I try to think of the ramifications of that. And the Pope thought he had some. <laughs> all the money in the world is mine. And then a few minutes later, he's just, he looks around, he says, I can do nothing. God does everything. I can do nothing. God does everything. Now, at one level, it's just like the Anandamaya Ma quotes yesterday. One of them is, I serve my husband as if they were God. That's a dualistic devotional practice or path or statement in dualism. In dualism, you spend your time loving the beloved. In non-dualism, you are the beloved. You exist on both planes. How do you train your awareness so that it doesn't get trapped in one plane and then cut off your access to the other planes? That's what the issue is. And you begin to see how your definitions of yourself keep trapping you, let alone the projections that you have to other people, let alone their projections on you. So you and I live in a sea of, a sea of projective systems. Some of which are coming out of our own desires, needs, fears, attractions, aversions, preferences, prejudices, opinions. And some of which are coming from everybody else's. And the question of how do you dance through all that without ending up completely caught in it? Especially when the ones coming out of you and the ones coming out of them say the same thing. That's a real conspiracy. See, the predicament is as you awaken, you realize you have been the perpetrator of the conspiracy you got caught in. It's not like, it's not real paranoia. It's not like, they did it to me. They've got this terrible conspiracy. You're it. You are it. We are it. We are the conspiracy. And the interesting question is, when you extricate your awareness from being part of the conspiracy, what happens? If you're just doing it in a half-baked way at first, you're busy telling everybody you've gotten free of the conspiracy and then they usually imprison you somewhere because you don't get free of the conspiracy. But a mature person isn't in the conspiracy and is not in the conspiracy even to the point of putting down the conspiracy. They're just not in the conspiracy and then the whole, they're living in a different universe and therefore their being is free of that conceptual homogeneous, homogeneous field. And that freedom is what they offer to another human being that frees them. And it's as if we all meet through our prison cells. High in there. What's it like? Do you know how to get out? No, do you? Yeah. oh Padme And to see the maturity of being able to extricate your awareness from entrapment in role and then at the and without violence and fulfilling the roles at the same time, but fulfilling them from a different, different, different place. When I took care of dad, my father, during the last years of his life, when I first started to take care of him, as I've told you before, some of you, I did it so much out of righteousness. I mean, I was giving up something to go and take my, make my apartment in the basement of his house and do that as my base camp. Because it's when you're 50 years old to go back to being Richard in a house with somebody else as the father when, I, you know, I wasn't even Ramdas in the house. It's very schizophrenic. And I was righteous, I was milking it. And people would say, aren't you good taking care of your father? And I'd say, well, somebody has to do it. And I, I just get what I could out of it, you know, like. But, you know, any tack you take with your mind gets boring after a while. I mean, you can only milk righteousness. So many changing of pampers and so many feeding of food and so many, you know, you can only. I'm righteously helping you down the steps. I'm righteously, you know. You get bored with any trip, they're all too finite. Any definite, I'm your mother. So then uh, I moved into another one. I thought that one fell away and I decided I was, my father was karma yoga. So I was using my father to get enlightened for the benefit of all beings. And I didn't necessarily have to tell him that, but basically that's what it was. I'm helping you with non-attachment. Now we are moving here with non-attachment. I was really paka-yogi, serving my father. And that got boring after a while. And it just kept arriving at different levels of being together, until finally... The mind trips were gone. The conscious, the the archetypal storylines were dissolving. And all there was was he was being and I was being. And the nature of the way of things in the karmic unfolding of our lives as father, child at this stage in our lives had this particular dynamic going in which that was the part that awareness played through him and that was the part awareness played through me. And there was nothing personal involved in it at all. We were just, it was like a tree becoming a tree, or a flower blooming, it was just the natural way of things. It was, as they say in Zen Buddhism, nothing special, it was nothing out of the ordinary, It was just the way of things. It was like tuning into the harmony of the universe, and when you are tuned, when you're listening to what does it mean that i'm a political entity what does it mean that i'm a social entity what does it mean that i'm a religious entity what it means that i'm a sexual entity what does it mean that i'm a cultural entity what does it mean that etc cetera, etc cetera. i'm a uh, biotic community entity hearing the nature how freedom comes through the investing in form freedom through form Statement in the Heart Sutra, form is no other than emptiness, emptiness no other than form. The art is not to deny form in order to grab at emptiness, but to have the emptiness and fulfill the form. And when you quiet down enough and listen in your own life to hear your unique manifestation, and you're really quiet, you get through the obsession with individualism that you had as an ego in our culture at this moment, and you realize you are part of systems. You're part of family, you're part of all of these different communities, ethnic groups, all of this stuff. And then you bring to that with your awareness... The listening to hear how you manifest within that system in a way that is not with attraction and not with aversion, but really playing your part, playing your part. Dancing the dance. So I listen and I hear I have certain skills. I have certain connections, so I have certain opportunities to talk to certain people. Those things. When I listen to hear, how will I manifest, say in the political field? I hear, well, there are these opportunities, there is this skill. When as I listen, that comes through, and I can say to somebody, dup dup dup, or whatever I can say, and it can enter into my way of being a political person. And in the same way, I'm part of the economic systems of the, of the physical plane. What kind of, uh, how can I honor the economics of it? Not by putting it down, even though it traps most people. And not by elevating it to, uh, to worship, as most people also do. And if you look at the dollar bill and that wonderful pyramid that the Masons have on there with the top, the eye separated from the rest of it, you understand that all of the solidity of the whole system only works when it is in connection with what the eye of God, the eye of the one, the balance to another plane. that is, that's a perfect description of planes of consciousness on every dollar bill. And when I listen, I say, well, what have I got to contribute? You wonder, what kind of a bargain should I make about money, about, about economics? To fulfill it, should I amass a lot of money and give it away? Or hold it, or spend it, or what should I do? There's no rule in the book about what you do. Each person has to listen, to hear. I mean I deal with people that are, that have hardly anything, they are way below the poverty level and they are at peace. I know people like that. In India I certainly know people like that. I know people who are so wealthy they are on the Fortune 500 wealthiest people in America. And often they, some of them are happy, some of them aren't. But often they are more trapped by money than the people who don't have it. And then many times the people who don't have it are obsessed with it. And the people who have some are afraid they're going to lose it. They won't have enough. And the amount of consciousness caught in the domain of economics is amazing. and I found myself working uh, with the business community because I looked around and I said, what I have to share is Dharma, what I've learned, what I've been doing for the past 25, 30 years. What is that, since business is the major social institution in the world at the moment, it's more powerful in nation states, it's more powerful in religions. Can I play with a beast? So I got involved with business people, and I started to hang out in a group called the Social Venture Network. They're easy business people to be with, they're all people like Ben and Jerry, and um, Reebok, and the Levi's, and people that are good guys, good persons in business. But the conspiracy within business, to see business as a certain way that it has to be, this is all ego level. It's very interesting when you're in India and you meet somebody who does business as Dharma. And you understand there is an incredible thing for the West to learn about business. About how you do business as Dharma. It's the same way as how you raise a child as dharma. It's the same way as how you make love as dharma. It's the same way as how you do any relationship in terms of dharma. Dharma meaning how can you be in this form in a way that does not create suffering in a way that liberates? How can I act in a way that does not exacerbate suffering? That seems very logical to me, even to my mind. Is this, are you wear with me? No? Yes?
1: This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org.